Hey, Unnaturalists, I'm Andy. And I'm Ryan. And welcome back to Unnatural. Well, today we are, we're going to talk about something that might be a little bit unexpected. When I was a kid growing up, this is kind of odd, but one of my favorite things to do was to head over to my mom's place of work, which was right across the street from where I went to school. And not because I particularly enjoyed watching my mom work. She worked in this big office building with a bunch of different businesses inside. But in the lobby was this giant wall of vending machines. And every time I would see it, it looked like the heavens were parting, you know, for like a 12-year-old kid. It was amazing. Yes, seeing this row of 15 vending machines. And I would go upstairs to my mom's office, ask for a bunch of change, and go to town on these vending machines. Like so much that by the time she was off work and ready to take me home, she would ask me what I wanted to eat. And I would be like, oh, I'm not hungry. <laughs> Your mom was a lot nicer than mine. <laughs> you, We have food at home. That's true. And my mom did say that I think maybe I would anticipate the vending machines ahead of time and bring change from home <laughs> and go there a lot. But anyway, Smart kid. yeah, so these things were amazing. Well, the reason I bring this up isn't because I'm feeling sentimental about vending machines from my childhood. <laughs> it's because this case, believe it or not, is all about vending machines, specifically vending machines in the country of Japan. And fun fact, Ryan, Japanese vending machines are infinitely cooler than their American counterparts. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but... I've in- seen a few videos and I'm I'm pretty jealous. I don't know why we're living in <laughs> like ancient history because <laughs> they got like... Cold stuff on the street. Yeah. Ready to rock. Oh, my God. You get ice cream, like Like, a really nice ice cream. In Japan, it's not out of the ordinary to see vending machines that are stocked with underwear, for example. There's ones for... Oh, that would be helpful. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I'm sure it is because otherwise they wouldn't be there. I think a lot of people use these. There's ones for fresh flowers. There's vending machines for eggs. There's vending machines for sake, which is Japanese alcohol, and even fresh seafood. Isn't that crazy? I don't know if I would want to get seafood. How do they know it's fresh? I don't know. How long has it been there? But they use vending machines a lot in Japan. It's not like here in America where if there's food in a vending machine, it's kind of sketchy. You know, I don't know if I want to get that egg salad sandwich out of a vending machine in America, but over there, apparently they're well-maintained, they're clean, and people eat out of them all the time. And Japan yeah, could really learn a lot from We Japan. really could. We need to go over there. But unfortunately, because they are so widely used in the country, there's over 5 million in Japan. It also became an ideal place for a sadistic individual to poison people. And this is exactly what happened back in 1985 when in a span of a little over six months, over 40 people were poisoned with paraquat dichloride, which is a herbicide mainly used 
to kill weeds. This resulted in the deaths of 12 people. As you can imagine, it created a bit of a panic in the country that is often described as one of the safest and least crime-ridden nations on Earth. However, almost as quickly as the attacks began, they abruptly ended, leading many in the country of over 120 million people to become even more paranoid, wondering who the killer or killers could be and when and where they would strike again. This is the story of the vending machine serial killer. Just funny side note, one side effect of doing a true crime podcast is my computer thinks that the only things I want to look at are murder and serial killer stories. <laughs> are you being flagged somewhere? But the funny thing is, though, probably, the, the funniest part about it, though, once I started researching this case, so now Google, YouTube, and everywhere else have been inundating me with constant vending machine ads i'm not kidding oh it's, that's funny it's like utterly convinced that i want to start a vending machine business so it just keeps sending me vending machine ads it's actually not a bad business model yeah you know what maybe it's something i should get into maybe maybe it's a sign but you should bring japanese vending machines to your area that's a good idea I know. I feel like Americans just won't care. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> We're fascinated by shiny things. That's true. We are. If I make it shiny, then maybe people will like it. This case, Ryan, bears a striking resemblance to one that we covered last year on the podcast when Emily told us about the Chicago Tylenol murders. So these were a series of poisonings in the early 1980s in which seven people died and they're kind of the main reason why we have safety and childproof lids on much of our medication now in the United States. The vending machine killings had similar ramifications in Japan that we'll talk about a little later on. So it all started back in April of 1985 in Fukuyama, Japan with a bottle of Oronamen C, which is a popular carbonated beverage in the country. I looked it up and you're probably going to make fun of me for this. So I looked it up and it's described as a yellow drink that tastes like honey and citrus. So it sounded so good to me that I ordered a four pack off Amazon for $17 <laughs> while I was writing the notes for this case. So... By the time we do the next case, I'll let you know what I think of it, okay? You'll be able to tell me what you what you think. It did sound really good. I'm like, ooh, a honey carbonated beverage with citrus in it? I'm down for You'll that. You'll have to follow up with an Amazon review. I, I will. The Amazon, <laughs> the Amazon serial killer would be proud. Um, at the time, 
Oranaman C was running this buy one, get one free promotion to boost its sales. And the killer took advantage of the fact that a lot of people were flooding to vending machines to buy the drink because they could get two of them. What they did is they laced the drink with the poison that I mentioned in our open, paraquat dichloride. They would place the bottle in the bottom of the vending machine, from what I understand. Some sources said that they put it at the top, but most people say it was at the bottom in that dispenser area. So customers just naturally thought they were getting a free bottle because of the promotion. 52-year-old Haru Otsu stopped by the vending machine and grabbed a few bottles of Oranaman C on his way to a fishing trip with some friends. Halfway through his second bottle, however, Harau began feeling pretty sick. And a few oh hours God. a few hours after that, he was taken to the hospital near his home, and by the next night, he was dead. This herbicide, Paraquat, is extremely toxic. In fact, it's now banned in 58 countries, including Japan, by the way. But at the time, it was widely available in the country and was already the cause of a large amount of fatalities, particularly suicide. In 19, I looked this up and I couldn't believe it. In 1984 alone, which was the year before these murders took place, it was used by 1,402 individuals to unalive themselves. It's just striking. So that's how they knew it worked. Yeah, exactly. It was probably all over the news in the country that all these people had been committing suicide by using this. It's also been linked to causing cancer and Parkinson's disease. And it's extremely lethal, even in small doses. And if you're wondering, like I was, if it is banned here in the United States, it's not. It is banned in the UK and Canada, though. Just one day after the death of Mr. Atsu and over 100 miles away, a college student bought another carbonated beverage from another vending machine, and he died two days later. This time, when investigators searched the vending machine, they found an additional poisoned bottle in the bottom dispensing slot. And one of the poisoned bottles they found was, again, found with this paraquat in there. The other, the one that killed the student, was laced with another toxic herbicide called Diquat. Of all the deaths there were, this was the only one I could find in which Diquat was used. All of the rest were paraquat dichloride. Investigators were kind of surmising that whoever was doing the poisoning was maybe even doing it at the factory where the drinks were made. Or maybe they were perhaps a gardener, somebody who was familiar with these types of chemicals. But again, really, it could have been anyone as the chemicals were available to the general public in 1985. In September of that year, the vending machine killer struck again as three more people lost their lives from beverages purchased in central and western Japan. When was it banned in Japan? It was banned later. Not long after this, it was heavily restricted. And I think it's because That's of this. And so we're, interesting. And yeah. it makes 
I had a I had a weird little thought. What's the weird little thought? The weird little thought was, I wonder if someone was actively trying to get something mm. like this banned. And in order to cause enough of a commotion, they felt that hurting people would do that. And so I was kind of like, I wonder if there were like people protesting this well, at all, or if this was a, a, a social issue because yeah. with all of like the use of using people using it to unalive themselves, like all of mm -hmm. that is just um, interesting. That's I mean, not good. Interesting. No, interesting, but, but no, that's it. That is interesting. It's not something I had even thought of. And we're going to get to all the theories coming up here in a bit. But that one that would be on the top of my list, I would say. I mean, that's certainly something at least to look into. But by this point, the country was in full crisis mode, which was an unfamiliar place for Japan to be in. Japanese people, they're pretty resilient. They don't get panicked very easily. To make matters worse, copycats began to pop up, including at least two instances where someone left tainted containers of milk inside school cafeterias. And as a mother, I'm sure if you were living there at this time, you probably would have been so paranoid to have your kids drink anything. I mean, I can't even imagine what it was like then. Theories began to emerge around this time. And one of the most prevailing was connecting the poisonings to one of the more bizarre criminal outfits the country had seen. And it was a group known as the Monster with 21 Faces. That was their name. And for more than a year, this group had been threatening to poison certain companies' products unless they received large cash payments. The group had even gone so far as to put cyanide-laced candies on supermarket shelves. But unlike the vending machine poisons, the packages of these candies were conspicuously labeled as having poison. It set it right on the package. So nobody died, and it almost felt like they were trying to get their point across so these companies would pay them money. But it's certainly something to keep in mind as to who may have done this. Is it a coincidence that this just a year before this group was out there saying that they were going to poison things if they didn't get a payment and they, as far as I know, didn't get a payment? I don't know. Something to think about. But in late August, the Monster with 21 Faces group sent a letter to police announcing that they would stop the poisonings. They would stop doing any sort of poisonings. That led many people to believe that it couldn't be this group as whoever was doing this wasn't asking for any money. They just simply wanted to kill as many strangers as they could. But I'm not ruling I them out. That's for sure. I wonder which of the 21 faces was not on board with that collective decision. Yeah, it could have been a rogue, a rogue member of the Someone 21 faces. Genuinely believes in the cause and will not stop at anything until they get their point across. Maybe. As you can probably imagine, soft drink sales began to plummet in Japan. But it was funny because the soft drink companies in turn publicly blamed 
the victims, saying, quote, If only consumers were more cautious, they would have seen that some tampering had been done, end quote. And I guess I kind of see where they're coming from with this statement. But at the same time, remember, most of these victims placed their coins in the vending machines, opened the dispenser and found two drinks. You know how it is. Sometimes vending machines drop two of the same thing. And from just from my personal experience, when that would happen, I would get a rush of excitement as a kid. (laughs) Win win. I'm like, oh, my God, I just hit the lottery. I definitely wouldn't be thinking, hey, maybe somebody laced these with poison. <laughs> maybe if this was going on, I would have. I don't know. But <laughs> it's it's hard to say. I mean, don't get between me and some snacks that are in a vending machine. But warnings around this time began being posted on all vending machines. They were even putting little stickers on the bottles telling consumers to be careful and to check to see if the bottles had been tampered with. This is why in America there are so many warnings on things because the companies have to make sure to cover their butts and not be liable because if you look at any one of your bottles, it says, if this shows signs of tampering, please take back to the store or please do not consume. Well, and that's what I was saying with the Chicago Tylenol murders because... Back in the 80s, you could just open up a bottle of Tylenol at the store and you could see the Tylenol in there. And that's what happened. Somebody poisoned those bottles of Tylenol and there weren't those little pieces of aluminum foil on top of it or whatever. These precautions tend to get put there because something happened. Police. That is so scary. Isn't it? Yeah. So I have had personal experience. Yeah. Those sorts of things where you're just you don't know what you don't know what happened. Yeah. And you have have to go into this emergency situation because now someone that you care like usually it's someone that you care about has consumed something that is not agreeing with them. And that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Again, that's why these precautions are put in place as annoying as they can be sometimes. There's a reason behind almost all of these that you see and the same thing happened in japan and police over there issued leaflets throughout the city they warned customers to inspect vending machine slots suspicious containers and tampered beverage caps they warned vending machine operators to check their merchandise and they even urged stores that sold poison to clamp down on the substances and keep accurate records of who was buying the poison. Might have been a little too little too late at that point, but at least they were doing something. They were being proactive. Several precautions were in place and vendors around the nation were discussing retooling their machines so that a coin could not be inserted into the machine if there was an item in the dispensary, which is pretty smart. However, it's really smart. And if anybody could pull that off, it would probably be the Japanese because they're very smart. But however, that would still take months, if not years, to replace the 5 million machines around the entirety of mm. Japan. You'd have to almost install like a weight plate. Yeah, something like that. I mean, it. It was a good idea for the future, but not really a short-term solution for the problem. Like, how do you solve this now? And 
Sadly, the killings continued. Are you intrigued by the dark side of things like murder, kidnapping, and sex cults? What about when the criminal is your favorite musician or actor or director or writer? Hollywood might look like all glitz and glamour until you take a closer look. But I'll tell you one thing, that kind of point of view can make you more vulnerable. From Roman Polanski to Mackenzie Phillips to Judith Barcy to Kurt Cobain, some are predators, and some are prey. I'm Dee Dee West, and I just might ruin your childhood. Follow my podcast, Broken Limelight, where I cover celebrity true crime stories. For more information, visit BrokenLimelight.com. Again, that's Broken Limelight. Follow it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. There were four more murders in October of 1985, including a 44-year-old man, a 50-year-old man, a 55-year-old man, and a 69-year-old man. And the final two deaths came in November with a 42-year-old man in Saitama, a city north of Tokyo, and a 17-year-old girl in the nearby Kodama district. And investigators were drawing a blank in terms of finding a suspect. As I mentioned before, there were a few theories, but nothing concrete. And unlike a quote-unquote normal murder investigation, none of the victims were connected to each other. And there appeared to be no motive except to kill as many people as possible and those in the field of criminology will often say that a killer with no motive is the most dangerous killer of all. And that's what they were dealing with here. Thankfully, the killings were finished with 12 people fatally poisoned. But here we are, 40 years later almost, and still no one has been arrested for the poisonings. Many still believe it could have been a gardener who had easy access to these chemicals. Others have posed the theory that it was possibly a courier who traveled with the chemicals often enough to distribute them over vast stretches of land. And that's an important thing to note because the poisonings were not in just one specific area, but rather over a pretty big part of central and western Japan. Others have said that the poisonings were maybe intentional. As I mentioned before, thousands of people killed themselves with that chemical recently. But friends and family members of nearly all the victims asserted that 
this wasn't possible as the victims weren't at all depressed, nor did they show any signs of wanting to harm themselves. I, I would say that's pretty far-fetched to say that all of these people were unaliving themselves. Yeah, it's a little bit too much. But while the perpetrators were never caught, or at least not yet, there were a few good things that came from this. Like I mentioned before, the country of Japan heavily restricted and I believe now has banned the herbicide paraquat dichloride and safeguards were put in place at vending machines nationwide and apparently it didn't cause too much of a stigma as currently there is one vending machine for every 22 people in the country of Japan Oh, my God. Is that really the statistic? (laughs) That's what I found. That's what I read. Yeah. And how many people are living in Japan? 120 million. Yeah. So. (laughs) So there's one vending machine per 22 people. Yeah. So I don't think you're going to run out. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently they're okay. And they have had some other issues with poisonings since then and even with uh, vending machines and stuff, but nothing super recently. Like I mentioned, there's a lot of theories and we've discussed a few of them, but I think the one that you had is certainly one to look into. I mean, I'm not right all the time, but... (laughs) Well, no, you had two theories because you had the one where maybe it was a rogue member of the group. What was your other one? Who was a true believer in the the cause. What was the first one, though? Damn it, that one was the... first one? (laughs) I already forgot. Whatever it was, it was amazing. <laughs> You'll listen to the recording and go, God damn it. That's what That's it was. That's what it was. Well, you, you don't remember either, I don't think. No, I don't remember everything that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> Whatever it was, it was profound, right? <laughs> damn it. What was? No, it was something about somebody. Oh, yeah. Somebody who was possibly protesting it. And somebody who wanted the use of the herbicide and wanted to make a statement and scare enough people, they'll ban it. I think that would certainly be something to look into. I could see that happening. That is a good idea. I'm glad it was mine. (laughs) I could have passed that off as mine and nobody ever would have known, including Ryan. Well, clearly it's not my idea because somebody's out there <laughs> oh, God. just just anyway, doing their thing. Yeah, we don't mean to make light of obviously what happened, no, but no. Uh, yet again, another unsolved case. And as it's been and almost... Using yeah, humor ahead. to deflect. <laughs> <laughs> we do that a lot here on the podcast. But yeah, it's been almost 40 years. I would say it's not likely to be solved because we've seen this a lot with unsolved cases. The longer it goes, the less likely it is to be solved because people die. People forget about it. It People move on. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, but seriously, like that's why it's so important to try and solve these cases as quickly as possible because they can kind of get swept under the rug. And people forget about that. I wasn't laughing at you and what you said. I was laughing at something I thought. And I was like, what if they poisoned themselves and that's why it, the murders ended? <laughs> like unintentionally. Maybe they did. 
who knows? And then, <laughs> and then the sorry, the Again, police just I'm chalked, using humor to deflect. No, but maybe they did that, and then the police chalked it up to just another person unaliving themselves. Who knows? Who knows? We may never know. But if you think you know and you want to talk to us about it, you can always find us on our socials. You can find us on Instagram, Unnatural the Podcast. Find us on Facebook, Unnatural True Crime Podcast, or just send us an email, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, make sure to like, follow, and rate us on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, and we will talk to you next time. Is this going to make you afraid of going to vending machines in the future? I can't say I go. I don't remember the last time I even went to a vending machine. Me neither. Hey, you want some Gardettos that expired in 2013? Well, this is the place. It's probably the same as when they packaged it. (laughs) It's all trash. You mean still delicious? (laughs) And smells like your dog's feet. I only like the, uh, what are those brown one? The brown things in there. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, the rye crisps? Yes, those are good. Crisps. Yeah. See, you know what I'm talking about. I do. Those are the best Clearly somebody's been eating out of a vending machine. (laughs) (laughs) Or a gas station. (laughs) I grew up with divorced parents, so we were traveling across state to see one and then the other. So I've been in way too many gas stations (laughs) in my lifetime. Right. Yeah. Anyway... And in the meantime, make sure to make good choices. And don't get got. I saw a YouTube video about the public restrooms in Japan, and they, like, way different than what we have. And what happens is somebody will walk out of it, and then it cleans itself and it turns a different color when it's ready to be used again. Like, Doesn't crazy. that make you mad that we kind have of. to deal with porta potties in an age <laughs> where that exists? I know. Yeah, Japan's doing something right. But like I go to a state park and I'm afraid to have to pee. I'd rather go in the woods. <laughs> deal with the bears. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Um, oh god, one time I went camping with my ex-girlfriend and we were well we, we were at this uh i can't even remember what it was but we were at some festival in wisconsin and the night we got there we had just put our tent up and there was a tornado warning and oh my god and we're in a festival like there's nowhere to go so we just went in her van during the tornado, which is not a safe place. Didn't even have like access to a ditch? Not really. There was just like not like there was thousands of people in this field. And anyway, we didn't know how bad it was was, but the tornado was like really close to where we were. And long story short, the tornado upended this giant row of porta potties (laughs) next to us. That's fucking horrifying. I can't believe it. Oh, my God. There was like this river of sewage. So my girlfriend and I, we, after the tornado was over. a biohazard nightmare. We we picked up the tent and we like put it on top of her van because we didn't want to like undo it and everything. 
and we drove over to the other side of like this big ass you know yard it wasn't even a yard it was just this field and put our tent up there but it was crazy to see everybody else trying to do the same thing and they were all like racing with each other to find a better spot away from the porta potties <sighs> oh, oh god. my gosh that was crazy crazy oh, i hate porta potties so much yeah that was like, like an like... omen because that was a terrible trip so <laughs> really was it was a, this it relationship was, isn't meant to last kind of it was a harbinger of things to come but okay so <laughs> a literal shit story. it was there there's ones for flesh uh flesh yeah there's ones for flesh you can get flesh out no. of the vending machine if you're a cannibal i thought you were gonna say fleshlight yeah there's like... well there probably is but there's ones for i was so scared <laughs> That scares me more than the murder. Right. Oh, God. Can you imagine <laughs> walking by one and seeing somebody hovering over there? Well, on a happier note, let's talk about murder some more. <laughs> murder. 